Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast. We are continuing our series called Hard Truth. We're following Jesus as he makes a journey, his final journey, to cross and resurrection. And as our Savior encounters people, he speaks very bluntly about life and death and discipleship. We're listening to some of these hard truths. As we do, as we hear calls to adjust our mindsets, and these calls often make us squirm, and they hit close to home, we remember who is speaking. This is the one who walked the hard road for us. Jesus speaks to us preachers and to all who will listen to us because he loves us. He wants us to follow him all the way to heavenly glory. And so he speaks frankly about obstacles that could get in our way. I'm John Mitchell from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Let's say hi again to our preachers for this series, Pastor Ben Tomzak from Bethel Lutheran Church in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Pastor John Bergman from Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Downers Grove, Illinois. And with us today is Sam Degner, who teaches New Testament uh, and practical theology here at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. Uh, John Bergman, let's start with you. We are thinking today about the readings for the Sunday that falls on or between September 18th and 24th in year C, so that's proper 20. The theme tying the readings together this week is serve God with money. You can't serve God and money. John, could you help us start unpacking that unifying theme for the week? Uh, sure. Uh, the Bible speaks a lot about money. Probably more than I think, 2,300 Bible passages speak about it. So why does God talk about it so much? Because even though it's a gift from God, it's something that Satan wants to use to pull us away from God. Um, money at times can provide a, a false sense of comfort and security. Instead of looking to God for that security, we can look to our money as a source of pride. Uh, it can also be a tool for one of our favorite pastimes, justifying ourselves. If I have a lot of money, if I'm doing well, I must be okay. Um, Jesus, of course, knows that serving money makes it impossible to serve God. The human heart is not big enough for both of those. So what Jesus does is he exposes the futility of serving money instead of God. Uh, he helps us to see that the only one truly worth serving is our gracious, loving God. And when we serve God, money is put in its proper place. Instead of money being something to serve, like a Lord, it becomes a resource for serving the Lord. And this is the hard truth. There is no way for us to serve both God and money but we can serve God with our money. Yeah, thank you for that summary. Gets us thinking about all the readings for today. Uh, ben, Tomzak, could you summarize um, the scripture readings for today? Since we'll be focusing on the, the second reading from 1 Timothy, um, could you point us especially to the, the first reading and the gospel of the day and, and give us quick synopses of those? Yeah, sure. Um, so we get two uh, kind of tough uh, accompanying lessons for these. It's one from the book of Ecclesiastes, five, chapter 5, verses 10 to 20. And then we're going to get Luke 16, uh, which I'm sure we all run to preach as quickly as we can. In Ecclesiastes, it's Solomon, um, often thought to be Solomon, kind of the end of his life where he's looking back at everything. And here, uh, an arguably rich man says, uh, let me show you uh, what happens when money's at the center of your life, when it's your heart. And it's incredible when you realize that it didn't actually make your life easier at all. There's, there's a series of stunning phrases. You could maybe pick each one to, 
to focus on or when you start putting them all together, it's just incredible where he, he reminds us that you never have money enough. You know, the first million, you're not done making money. You're never satisfied with your income. You, you still need raises. Uh, intriguingly, he says in the end, it becomes something you, it's only good to look at. You just amass stuff. You don't actually use it. Um, you have so much of it, you can't sleep, whether it's out of fear that it's going to get stolen or fear that you'll lose it or, or just conniving in ways to get more. Uh, he says at the end, it, it, it just goes away and you don't get to pass on anything to your family. Um, you die and you're exposed as really having nothing because you can't take it with you. And he says the great Solomonic thing, all this stuff is meaningless, which makes you think he's ragging on, on money and says it's pointless. But he, he makes the turn, like, like John Bergman said, to the value and, and he's not deriding wealth. And he's certainly not. And that's something I think Timothy's going to be good for us. He's not advocating any particular economic ism here, socialism, capitalism, communism. He's just saying, here's what our sinful hearts do. They corrupt even this incredible gift from God that is wealth. And, and we need help. We're so sinful. We need help to use it properly. So he says, be satisfied in your toilsome labor under the sun. One of those strange kind of oxymoronic things, kind of like when he talks about just be happy with your, your wife in this meaningless time, which that's not your Valentine's card. Same here with with money, your toilsome labor, just do it, do your job, do your job, rejoice in what you have, because when you spend your life not being happy, you're really questioning God, you are dissatisfied with God. But he does finish positively saying, remember, don't be dissatisfied, because whatever you have is gift from God. It's, it's great gain, as we'll hear in Timothy, um, and this is how God keeps you occupied. He says, with gladness of heart. You don't need to reflect on the past or fret about the future because you've been given a gladness of heart through faith in Christ. Um, and I, this guy's speaking from experience. He's saying there were better things I could have done. There were better ways I might have lived. I could have used these gifts better. If only I would have remembered whatever I had is a gift from God. He's keeping me occupied from all the things that I don't need to be occupied with. And he gives me gladness of heart first in Christ. But then, as we'll hear from Timothy, even to enjoy this life under the sun. So if that's not hard enough for you, then Jesus tells this parable that, like I said, uh, I think we do everything in our power to avoid preaching or hand off to an associate or a vicar. Jesus tells the parable of the shrewd manager who's about to get in trouble for stealing or at least being a little shifty with money. And we're, we're tempted to say, Jesus, are you, are you commending dishonesty or greed? Well, duh, no, Jesus isn't pro-embezzlement. Um, he's telling a story to make a point. And, and he gets to the point by saying, there is a clever way to use your possessions. There is a way to use them that benefits people, including yourself, even, uh, ironically. Um, this man getting fired did that. He, he cushioned his fall. Even though he didn't get every last possible penny he could or take advantage of his boss's money in every possible way, just in contrast to that, that debtor who went and strangled someone to get the last possible penny he owed from another parable, no, this man let go of his, his money and the embezzling he was doing, ironically, maybe by a little bit of, again, shrewd behavior, for the sake of relationships. Jesus is saying there is a use for money and things like, like John Bergman was saying. And we have to understand that we actually do live in a world, a real world. We, we can't pretend we aren't in the world. And it's a world of transactions, whether it's money, property, favors, or talents. And God has given us all these things, and he kind of expects us to use them. That's another parable where you get in trouble if you bury your talent, if, if you just hide all this stuff away. And then finally, Jesus gets to the point. There is a trustworthy way to use the things I've given you. 
Don't let this stuff master you. And that allows you to, to rebuke the, the shrewd manager. He clearly got mastered by money. That's why he was stealing. That's why he was mismanaging accounts. He did not let God remain his one and only master. And Jesus says, there you go. Only that master provides true wealth. And that connects you to Solomon. And that will connect us to Timothy as we, we dive into the text today. Yeah, thank you. Um, it, we're not talking about Luke 16 and the parable of the shrewd manager as our main focus today, but it is a fascinating parable. And I, that's how kind of I've approached it um, when I've dealt with that parable is um, taking away the point that uh, Jesus says, you know, don't, yeah, don't be mastered by money. Don't let money be in charge of you. Instead, you take charge of it and use it in a way, trusting in the Lord with his purposes in mind, with heavenly relationships in mind, things like that. You make use of it um, so that it doesn't end up kind of using you um, because money, uh, all that goes with it, uh, we'll hear Paul talk about it to Timothy. But um, yeah, it can be kind of a cruel master um, and chew us up and spit us out. But uh, but Jesus and Paul will say it too. Um Take charge of it, trusting in the Lord. So let, let's get to that now. Um, Sam Degner, could you get us started in thinking about this, um, a, a better known lesson or reading on the subject of money and making use of it as believers? First Timothy chapter 6, our verses are verses 6 through 10, and then um, our lectionary has a skipping to verses 17 through 19. So could you get us going, uh, highlight whatever you'd like? Maybe just a, a couple of preliminary thoughts. Um, first of all, it's maybe it's good for us to remember the context of, of these verses, and I, I don't think it's going to change the way you preach on them a lot. Uh, but the segue for Paul is he's talking about the false teachers that Timothy is going to have to confront. And uh, they're, well, talking about some of their characteristics, their unhealthy interest in disputes and arguments over words and envy and quarreling. But ultimately, it comes down to they imagine that godliness is a way to material gain. So they um, they thought that their their piety, their religious teaching was a way that they could could make money. Um, and then Paul, so that, that's the segue, that's verse five, and then when he gets into verse six, it's godliness isn't a way to material gain, but godliness with contentment is great gain. So a little wordplay there. Um, maybe maybe it's just helpful to pause to, to remember that, like I said, I, it might not change the way that you preach it or apply it uh, to your people, but for us as pastors, maybe just a good to pause for a moment uh, before we think about how this text speaks to our people. How, how does it speak to ourselves, including the, the temptations to use our, our influence, our position, uh, sometimes in subtle ways to, um, for our own gain, material gain, um, influence, uh, a little glory for ourselves. Um, but uh, besides that, I, I, I like how, and now I, maybe you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I, I don't remember these two sections, these two passages being connected together in previous versions of our of our lectionary, as I was going back and looking at planning documents of previous sermons, uh, we had the the first uh, well verses six, I think, even all the way up to maybe sixteen. Um, I like that uh, we have combined now six to ten and then seventeen to nineteen because uh, it 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 broadens the scope. And so we're going to see in these verses here. Number one, it, it speaks to two different groups of people. It speaks to people who don't have a lot of money and they want more. And it speaks to people who do have a lot of money 
and both of those groups face temptation because of money. Um, different kinds of temptations, but they both they both face both face temptations, and those are presented here. Uh, so it gives I think the preacher a chance to think about his own uh, audience, and maybe what what uh, what kind of people do you have more of in your congregation? You might focus more on one or the other, but you probably have a little of both, and so you may find a way to apply to both groups. Uh, the uh, the other thing I, I uh, like about the fact that, that it includes those verses 17 to 19 now is that it gives us a chance to talk about the positive aspect of money. And you guys already touched on that. Uh, um, John and Ben did that uh, in their introductions. Uh, it'll give us a chance to think about how we can use money, how it is a gift from God, uh, and even for enjoyment. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm glad for the addition of those verses. I think it it gives the preacher a lot of opportunity to uh, for good application. Right, I think that is a change in uh, from the '93 lectionary to our new lectionary now. Um, the old one just went on with verse 11, um, which, which in its own way did show the contrast as the the original text does. But yeah, verses 17 through 19, I think, um, really do turn to those who have been blessed with great material wealth, okay, what is a positive way to use that in service to the Lord? Um, so you can present that contrast. Um, so as you think about um, preaching this text, and I'll uh, go back to Sam, or really open it up to, to Ben and John too. Um, how do you go about identifying a malady um, there uh, without being... I mean, sometimes the most obvious thing to point to is the correct thing um, without doing it in such a cliched way is kind of what I'm thinking. Um, how do we advise preachers to identify the dangers of the love of money um, without it becoming just kind of a, a harangue against greed and coveting? Um, again, those are in place because they're biblical themes that are right there in the text, but I'm thinking of, in terms of how we present that malady, what would be some suggestions you might have for preachers to do that in an engaging way so that uh, kind of in our the rhetoric of our sermon, it doesn't just kind of come off as a glancing blow, like, oh, I've heard this a bunch of times and I get it, love of money is bad. Any suggestions for preachers in that regard? Yeah, John, I was just thinking that myself, that um, you know, when a, a pitfall of this is for, for any of us to hear this and say, well, Paul's talking about people who aren't me. He's talking about rich people, and I'm not one of them. Because finally, no matter how much, how rich I, I may or may not be, there's always someone richer. And uh, in one way, that's just not true, because A, as Americans, most of us probably are richer than most other people in the world, if we compare it to that. But also, as we've been kind of hitting on that, love of money can affect you know, both the rich and the poor. And I think Sam was getting into that. And I think that's that, that key verse that's so often uh, misquoted, probably uh, verse 10, you know, that money is a root of all kinds of evil. No, it's, it's, it's the, the love of money is uh, the root of all kind of evil. And, and to try to get to, where is that in my heart? Where do I say, God, you're holding out on me. I don't trust you. Or, or finally, I love money more than God. I love myself more than God. And I, I love myself more than others because I don't want to use my gifts to serve others. So I, I think that's the challenge that we're hitting on to try to right, get under the surface and to the root of it. 
Hey, ben? I, I really liked what uh, Sam pointed out about how this text can kind of talk to both, even though Paul doesn't say, now listen, poor people. Um, St. Augustine actually did. I came across when he was commenting on this. He said, now I've been wagging my finger at the rich. Poor people, you listen too. And then he kind of goes through some things and he ends like President Kennedy. Um, you have the world in common with the rich. You don't have a house in common with the rich, but you do have the sky. You do have the light in common with them. So he points out that the problem is it's the same problem from different angles. Um, and I think uh, as, as I look at what I've been doing with this, because um, I, I start to think, um, A, you have satisfaction and contentment is kind of Paul's key thought. So rather than just saying stop loving money, the problem is about dissatisfaction but also I think we can look at our politics and theology in the world now and make it, this isn't just greed is bad. And you know, we aren't just going to, you know, rearrange Gordon Gecko's quote. Um, you know, liberation theology says there's a preferential option for the poor or a preference for the poor that God has. I don't think that can be maintained. It, it, it's almost like the assumption is poor people, good, rich people, evil. So that's one thing we got to overturn. And as we look at a lot of our politics today, we see that in the assumption that a certain economic system is the only right way to do things. That if if you're not giving all your stuff up to someone, you're clearly one of these evil rich tycoons. And you know, it, so I, it, I think that would be kind of it, it does still speak to our time more than just greed bad, money evil. You know, it's it's we're living it right now and almost, you know, so you can talk, well, you gotta be careful. I, I'm not saying let's preach a political sermon and let's say the poor brought it on themselves. No, uh, James, we just had James and God said, stop acting the way you are towards the poor. We've got it here in this text. Do good. Be generous. Um, don't be a jerk with your wealth, which does really whip the way we use our stuff as opposed to those who don't. So there, there's a lot of really cool ways to, to peel the onion away from this one. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, something that uh, I think, John, you had said a little earlier, you know, the, the misconception that money is bad and, um, and maybe Part of it comes from the misquoting that verse 10, but uh, it'd be an interesting way to start the sermon and just say, money is good. You might have, <laughs> uh, you might have some people listening. Money uh, good. And, and then you have a chance to explain, um, uh, you know, explain that misunderstood verse, explain it, it's Timothy, uh, Paul says to Timothy, you know, money comes from God. He provides it for us. And there's a way to use it too. And, and the real problem then it's not the money. I think that's the easy way out, right? The easy way out is uh, saying that money is the problem somehow. The problem is our heart and uh, how, what it thinks of money. So if money looms over my heart as this thing that I want more of and I just can't get enough of, that's a problem. If money uh, is what my heart rests on as a rich person uh, and I put my hope in that, then that's a problem. So it forces us to see where the real issue is. Right. Let's, how about think about uh, the gospel, um, a unique way or a textual way to put forward the gospel here. Of course, um, it is true. Jesus died also for our sins of greed. Um, and that may be, well, something we express in the sermon and in just about those terms even. But um, in what way that uh, kind of honors the, the language of the text would you suggest that preachers think about presenting the gospel message in a sermon based on this text? Any ideas for preachers or things to think about? 
He's playing kind of off what Sam just introduced you know, in, in verse 17. What a beautiful, beautiful truth that uh, God provides all things you know, rich, richly for our enjoyment, the, uh, the text says. So, yeah, money is a gift from God, just as, as so many other things are, too, from sports to children to sex to fire to cars to guns, right? I mean, all these things can be used in a good way or a bad way, food or drink. Um, but this is a gift from God and he loves us so much that he wants to give us life to the full, as, as he says, and that's not a, a success theology or prosperity theology. He, he wants to bless us now and bless us forever. Um, and he doesn't want us to go through these afflictions and sinking down, you know, some of the words that Paul uses in here are just so vivid. There's a number of hopox. Uh, terms in here to describe just how we can get ripped apart by this. But our God is so gracious and good that he wants to save us from ourselves and, and enjoy what can only come from his hand. Uh, that might, might be getting at it a little bit. Hey, yeah, that that's kind of what I was thinking too, pointing to um, the goodness of God, the, the graciousness of God that keeps on providing um, any other thoughts in regard to that presenting the gospel from this text? Yeah, the, the phrase that jumped out at me, I, I always kind of have one of the questions I put at the end of my text study to kind of grab things is like, the, what did I read here that I didn't know or forgot kind of in the, the phrase kind of at the end, the life that is truly life. Mm -hmm. You know, Solomon picked up that thought in Ecclesiastes when you, when you pair these together that this actually, this was, I was not living my best life when I was so obsessed with this. And and, um, and the things that Paul warns against, arrogant living, being arrogant with your wealth. And we see a lot of that in our conversations about billionaires today, you know, the arrogance of getting all your tax breaks and not, you know, expecting everyone else to, you know, pay for honest, you know, hoping in wealth. And he says the opposite, hope in God, don't hope in wealth. Um, try to provide, you know, trying to provide everything for ourselves. That's what we do. We stab each other in the back on the way. He says, no, that's not life. Life is found in God, the one giving. That was your thought, John, um, that you had, the one who gives richly, um, the one certain thing. And he talks about, he calls money an uncertain thing. This wealth is, is so uncertain. You just got to play the stock market once or have your pension plan rearranged to realize how uncertain it is. But a phrase that popped into my head is to, and I don't know if you want to, how much you want to play with it, but you know that Jesus is the actual universal currency. He always has the same value works in every society. It's not like a discover card that may or may not work at a given store. Jesus is universally valuable, his holy, precious blood. Um, and I, so it makes me think of like Second Corinthians 8, he was rich and became poor so that you could be rich. Because um, you're right, there's, there's some implied gospel in here, you know, the, the Job idea. We bring nothing into the world. We take nothing out. Well, God's the opposite, you know, that, that's in there. But so yeah, that life that really is life, that, that's what I thought about a lot this week. Yeah, as opposed to trying to fabricate um, a good life, uh, but really not succeeding because it's the love of money that is driving us and that will always let us down um, or lead us into the many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. But there is a life God has for us that is truly life based on something else. Um, um, I agree with uh, what these two guys have said. I think those are maybe the two places I would look for it how you're going to express the gospel here, the, uh, you know, the wordplay he has with rich, richly uh, rich. He says that three times, um, uh, the God who richly provides us everything. And, and that includes not only what we enjoy here, but what 
um, but the, the life that is really life that we begin to enjoy here and that we that lasts eternally. Um, I, that would be the I, Ben. That was the phrase I thought of too. Um, that the very end. That's worth a little extra meditation, I think, and how you can uh, bring that in the gospel. Yeah, yeah. So rich, uh, all kinds of avenues for meditation and and proclamation of the gospel. I think um, can arise from that. Um, how about? Um, uh, good ways to apply the text or suggestions to get preachers thinking about applications of the text. Um, I mean, maybe a bunch spring to mind because um, we are dealing with our stuff, with our money, literally every single day um, and numerous times. So uh, applications might present themselves, but any, any suggestions, uh, John? Maybe I'll just uh, throw in a couple, just uh, as a, a thought about this. A lot of people are going to be feeling a lot of guilt when we get to this subject. Um, so hopefully the gospel can, this will be a wonderful time to heal some of that. Certainly the law needs to cut us to the heart, but um, I, I read recently that money is often cited as the number one cause of marital stress stress or strife in marriage problems. Um, I, I think of once uh, one of my members who I was talking to, he was a multimillionaire, ran an incredibly successful business, gave generously to the church, we did a Bible study on money and he came up to me afterwards and said, wow, I just feel so guilty about all the mistakes I've made with money. And I think, wow, he's probably the most successful person I've ever seen and such a gracious giver too. So just to keep in mind, right, that Lord willing the gospel will heal a number of hearts there too. But we can all probably think of examples then too of illustrations where I've seen this in, in practice from the Bertie Madoffs of the world or, or where I am. Um, minister in, in Chicago. There's a very affluent suburb right near me, and one of my members who lives there said, Pastor, you wouldn't believe how miserable the people are who live there, many of our neighbors. And they live in mansions, but they said divorce, suicide, opiate, and drug addiction, all of this is running rampant. Well, why? Because they don't have God. They, they don't have that life <laughs> that God wants to bring that is indeed life. Just a couple of thoughts. Other thoughts for application or, um, that, of course, this relates to law gospel from the text too, but bringing this home to listeners. I, I like what, uh, John, you said there about, you know, it's this is an easy one to just hammer people over the head with and be terrible about. We could yell at them about their politics. Stop saying all taxation is theft, you know. Stop saying rich people are evil. Stop, you know, mishandling the poor. Stop walking by, you know. Yeah, and depending on your circumstances, maybe you need it. But, but uh, again, we keep coming back to vocation. Um, there was there was a guy I knew who kept coming back to me and saying, "Pastor, shouldn't I be working to make every single penny I could possibly make in my life? Wouldn't that be God pleasing?" And I struggled to how to respond to that over the years. And Solomon said, "Just work, just just work, and do your work well. That's the best possible thing you can do. And that's a comfort to someone who's rich. You're making billions. Great, good for you." And if you're working a minimum wage job or three minimum wage jobs, that's fine. If you don't get rich, that's great too. God actually is cool with that. He, it's, it's not about you haven't been good. Like Sam, I think you said that. You're not super good because you're rich. That doesn't prove God loves you. And, and you're not better than the rich person because you're poor. There's not some special badge of honor for being poor. It's just, just work. Because um, I, I think a lot of us, we, um, 
we wrestle with these texts. I, I think a week or two ago, I, I used the example from the name of the rose, uh, the big argument the Franciscans have about owning possessions, and that could come in here too. Because a lot of church fathers look at this text as a call to only eat or wear the bare necessities. You know, Paul says, be satisfied with food and clothes and you're good and no more. And now we got to wrestle with that. Can I have five pairs of jeans, you know, or not? Uh, and, and Paul would seem to be on the side when he tells women that your adornment shouldn't be your hair, your jewels, or your, your, your looks. It should be your good life. And that's true for men too. Um, and yet Paul doesn't go the other way and say, rich people hand out all your money and become poor. Yes, modesty. Yes, faithfulness. But we can say just almost like maybe your sermon could be just live. Could you? Could you just live and not care so much about rich or poor? But I don't know. Uh, yeah. So maybe some comfort there and how, how we can just live a little bit with a little less stress. Mm -hmm. uh, ben, ben mentioned earlier the, some of the class um, divisions, maybe, you know, that, that uh, are, seem to be really being picked at in our, in our country today and um, wh which side you're on uh, and how that's, not, you know, it's part of politics, even maybe part of the way that we think about life. Um, the gap, the wealth gap, or the power influence or class gap, and um, so I think it's a. This is a good, uh, uh, you know, it's a good season, a uh, good time to to be talking about what the real issue is again. That it's not it's not money; it's our heart. And so I think the the preacher has an opportunity to um, to gently point people to to the real problem and then the and then the solution. And as far as applications. Um, just some care. I think some care will will be will go a long way. Uh, knowing your flock, of course, but um, often we maybe give the impression to the to the richer folks in our in our pews that you know there's there's maybe something wrong because they have so much money, or um, or give the the poorer people a pass uh, on certain things. So uh, what the guys have already said, uh, uh, gentle, but but insightful law, but a, a lot of gospel here um, to uh, help motivate people to thanksgiving for the good things God has given. Good point, Sam. If, uh, if unbelievers were the only ones who had any money, <laughs> we probably wouldn't get a whole lot done as a church, right? So <laughs> th thank God for those members of ours who are richly blessed, and now may they enjoy that uh, to God's glory right now and, and in the life to come for, with what he gives them. Right. And those verses 17 through 19, you know, they make me think of people like Nicodemus or Lydia uh, or, you know, uh, people in scripture who were blessed materially, who then used that um, to bless others. And uh, I think I, I appreciate those verses being included in the, the lesson, as we've mentioned before in the reading. Um, so there's positive examples of here is faithful use of wealth uh, done with a trusting and content heart. It has been said from Ecclesiastes, yeah, just, just work and whatever the Lord blesses you with, manage it well, uh, honoring him, but never viewing it as the foundation. The foundation is your life that is truly life that he has given. Um, maybe we could conclude with any, any possible theme or uh, ideas that you're thinking about, um, things that might uh, spark an idea for other preachers. Like Sam, money is good. Money is good. 
and then expounding on what that, that means. Yeah. No, it, <laughs> it, yeah. It might be worth thinking about um, just stating that in order to clarify these misconceptions. Um, yeah, this is a good gift of God. But now we have to talk about our hearts um, and how they view that gift of God and the giver. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, and, and you, something like that could could work as a theme. You might want to uh, think about how you're going to word it so it'll reflect the text well. But the, the idea um, might be a good that might be a good direction to to take it. And and uh, you know what what makes money good? It's from God and it's for God, right? I think that's encapsulated, especially in the in verses seventeen to nineteen. But, um, but uh, the first section has to do with that too. How about God launders money? <laughs> ah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. That's if you're uh, preaching Luke, I guess. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, speaking of Luke, I, just a thought. Maybe someone mentioned it already, but that verse nineteen. Um, uh, doesn't that have a connection with the latter part of the, uh, after the parable of the shrewd manager, um, as Jesus talks about using money with these bigger goals in mind. Um, and Paul says also, you know, viewing money with kind of this eternal perspective, um, or, you know, money is not just about money. It's about how you use it in a way that reflects your attitude and your belief in these bigger things, the life that is there. Um, but yeah, some good thoughts for preachers, I think. Any uh, concluding uh, suggestions for preachers or any ideas that come to mind, uh, John? I just This is going to be one with uh, how the readings go from this week and next week to just keep an eye on the horizon a little bit, yeah. because if you're yeah. proper 21, you're going to be looking at money too. Um, and, and so just trying try to get in our own minds, there's not one right way to go about it, but it, for my own benefit, I'm kind of thinking this week, we're, we're looking a little bit more at using money now in this life, certainly with eternal consequences, but how can money be a curse or a blessing for me in this life right now? And then next week, a little bit, maybe more that eternal consequence. I think we see the, the rich man and, and Lazarus coming up, you know, how, how our relationship with money really can have eternal impacts on my own soul too but just for the preacher to kind of keep those in mind so you don't preach everything in week one yeah 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 excellent point and that that's good to keep in mind plan ahead a little bit if especially if you're you're preaching on two texts back to back that are quite similar in their themes great uh I, I would just mention there are so many biblical examples that could be used as illustrations of, mm-hmm. uh, of positive illustrations right um, both of, of a person who doesn't have a lot of money and is content with that and a person who has a lot of money and uses it well. Um, and, you know, we can think of people in our own ministry experience too, people that we, in both of those situations, uh, that uh, people are coming to my mind, right, that uh, had a lot of money and, and I thank God for them the way they supported the ministry and then those who um, were, were quite content with, with not having a lot. Um, you probably shouldn't wouldn't want to hold some of those people up in your sermon as an example, but the Bible gives some great examples that you, right. uh, that you could hold up. Yeah. Yeah. Great suggestion. Yeah. And, and um, you kind of started us, John, by saying, you know, how can we make sure not to fall into some kind of hackneyed, you know, greed is bad and just all the cliches and, and maybe even the fear of, Oh no, it's the money sermon. You know, the, here they go the pastor asking for our money again. And yet, like what Sam just said in the examples uh, other John gave, um, you know, this this text, as you think about, just proves 
this is always a thing. You know, I've got kids of the age now where they're asking, what can I do for money? You know, they want, they want to be paid for all their chores and they don't know what to do with it really other than buy Legos or something. But money is a big part of their life, even though, you know, like her, my wife and I trying to talk a lot about our money in front of them. And then, then it's going to get to, I got to get a job so I can buy a car and I got to go to college. And I'm getting debt because I went to college. And then, and then I got to make money so I can have kids or so I can pay for my kids to do something. And, and then it's going to be, do I have enough money to pay for my prescriptions or to get into the retirement home or, or so that my family can do my, it's, it is an ever present part of our life. So if someone rolls their eyes at the money sermon, whether it's the pastor preaching it or the people receiving it, it's like, why would you? Because this is like the most ever present, omnipresent thing you've got wealth stuff. It's all over the place. And man, you screw around with it a lot and you mess it up. And the devil is, so this, yeah, 2,300 verses, John said. There's a reason God talks about this and, and sexual behavior so much because it's all we can think about right. from infancy. So yeah. it's worth spending some time on money. Yeah, just immediately relevant uh, throughout our lives. Absolutely. All right. Well, thank you very much, guys. Thanks for uh, spending time talking about this text. Hopefully we've given some uh, food for thought to preachers as they continue working on their sermons. God bless you all as you preach the word.